Turn with me, if you would, to the Old Testament, Old Testament wisdom literature of Ecclesiastes. Heath has uh, mentioned we'll be looking at Ecclesiastes 8 this morning, picking up on that journey with the wise preacher and teacher who is applying his heart to all that is done uh, here under the sun. He's taking us along, making conclusions that I hope will be our conclusions as well. Um, And honestly, our everyday life is sort of the stamp of validation on uh, what we find here in this word, which which shouldn't surprise us all that much because it is a word inspired and transcribed for us, kept for us by uh, the living God. Our lives are a breath, but uh, God's breathed out word endures forever. The ancient Greek philosopher Plato, uh, Plato was a student of Socrates and he was actually uh, helping uh, form one of the first institutions of higher learning in the Western world. But Plato came to this conclusion. He said, the only true wisdom is knowing that you know nothing. Knowing that you know nothing. Which isn't super encouraging when you, when you hear that. But the findings of the wise teacher of Ecclesiastes would at least you know, understand the premise behind Plato's conclusion. In much wisdom is much vexation. He who increases knowledge increases sorrow, we read in chapter 1. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his life? Chapter 6. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? Chapter 7. And even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. We hear again in this chapter. So even the wisest of men and women won't understand it all, all of the time. And that is an important mark of wisdom to acknowledge that. The more we seem to understand, the more we realize that there is more to learn, more that we will never understand. So the wise teacher you know, makes this clear, but he doesn't come to the same conclusion as Plato. Plato doesn't start with the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Plato starts and ends with the human ability you know, of, of the human mind and fails to acknowledge the one who has created the human mind and the very purpose for human knowledge to begin with. Our knowledge and our our wisdom is limited. It's finite. It's incomplete. But we can know things. We can know what is true because uh, the God of truth has made us in His image. The the wise teacher is walking on that foundation slab. And so that's important for us uh, to remember. So let's give our attention here to chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's troubles lie heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell how it will be? 
No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy, for man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. This is the wisdom of God's Word. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are grateful that you would transcribe your very heart to us in this Word. And though our lives are but a breath, it is your word that endures forever. Lord, inscribe it upon our hearts and minds. Holy Spirit, guide our understanding of your word. Help us in applying it faithfully to our lives this day. Lord, make us attentive in these moments. May your word be proclaimed faithfully that we might go rejoicing in the wisdom of you, our God. We offer this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, who is like the wise? Who is like the wise? Have you found him? Have you found her yet? And then the, the teacher here opens this section a very proverbial way that, that really begs for a comparison. All right, it is time to, time to make your choice here. You know, compare William Shakespeare and Edgar Allan Poe. Compare John Donne or George Herbert or... Ludwig von Beethoven and Johann Sebastian Bach. Maybe you compare Martin Luther and John Calvin, Albert Einstein or John uh, or Isaac Newton, Martin Luther King Jr. or Nelson Mandela, John Wayne or Clint Eastwood, Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg. You've you make those comparisons, and you've made a choice because of you know criteria that you have and one you know one reason or another. But who compares with the one who is wise? This one, this person knows how to read the times. They have a solution. You, you can tell by their very demeanor, by the way they carry themselves, and even their countenance that they've tapped into this source of wisdom or been very close to it. Think of Exodus 34. It says that when Moses descended from Mount Sinai, the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. He was in the presence of the Holy One, the wisdom and glory of God. 
So the wisdom of, of God is, is transforming. And, and if your face is going to shine as one who exercises wisdom, then the teacher says here that there are several situations where wisdom uh, should be applied. And he does this while holding on to that, that tension. Wisdom is good. It should be pursued. If any one of you lacks wisdom, James says in the New Testament, he should ask God, who gives generously to his children, who ask in faith. So do we go to God for wisdom that is becoming his children? And then Ecclesiastes is this you know, in-your-face reality that wisdom is not the ultimate good doesn't hold all the answers to life under the sun, no matter how much we apply our hearts in seeking it. So that the shining face of wisdom is smudged, scarred. But in, in speaking to the wise, those who desire wisdom, teacher says you do well. You do well to obey those in authority. That's in that first section. You do well to fear in those middle verses and then ends with you do well to rejoice in the life that God has given you. Um, there, there's a strange thing that happens in our house. I don't know if it's change in barometric pressure or something in the water, but right after we've finished a meal around the table, maybe we've had some time of devotions and prayer as a family, um, something comes over my kids where they want to push and poke and shove and practice the latest self-defense moves on each other right after the meal. Um, and I don't know if it's just pent-up energy around the table, maybe having to sit there for so long, but after the amen, look out because it's tussle time. Um, and, and oftentimes it ends with you know, maybe a pushing or a poking or a kick that was a little too hard. Um, and my kids are old enough now that I'm likely to get more hurt than they are if we start tussling. But I remember when they were younger, you know, and if dad entered the ring, then look out. The, the, the tables, the tussling tables have turned in those moments because dad's going to take you down. Um, the wise teacher points out here that wisdom is knowing when to tussle and not to tussle especially with those who are bigger and have more authority. When you're in the presence of the king or someone with significant power and authority, you know, don't just walk away or blow them off too quickly. Be careful what hill you choose to die on because you just might die on it. The king is going to get his way, so be careful that you don't get in the way. Honor those in authority. Be respectful. They've been appointed by God just as you've been appointed uh, to serve God and obey His commands. So wisdom knows when to push an idea or behavior and when to, to hold back. Uh, is now the right time, you know, the right atmosphere to present this proposal to the boss? Is mom or dad ready to hear what I need to say and can I can I say it in a way that it will be heard and then wisdom also knows how to uh, emphasize and apply God's word clearly um, even when it I mean, when it can be challenging I'm thinking of you know God's word clearly says do not lie do not deceive one another 
But how about when the soldier comes to the door to search the house and is ready to execute anyone he finds in the house? What does wisdom look like? The wise heart will know the proper time in the just way. So you may not change the king's heart. You may not change the hearts of those in authority. But walking in wisdom will have an impact. It will change us. When we keep the commands that God gives and we guard against evil, we're, we're actually changing. Okay? We become less fearful Maybe more confident, uh, even as we are humbled by the sovereignty of God, by His providence in our lives. Matthew Paris, he, he observed this in a remarkable way by spending some time in Africa. You see, Matthew is a very confident and assertive atheist. Uh, but after observing what he did in these villages, after Christians had come and shared the wisdom of God in the gospel, it left him completely at a loss. It was something, you know, government projects, NGOs, all international aid, something they could not produce, but he saw in those places that Christians had been. And here's what he said. He said, whenever we entered a territory worked by missionaries, we had to acknowledge that something changed in the faces of the people we passed and spoke to. Something in their eyes, the way they approached you direct, man to man, without looking down or away. They had not become more deferential towards strangers, in some ways less so, but more open. So the wisdom, the work of God, had changed their hearts, and it was evident uh, in their shining faces. Uh, so Matthew Paris could only make this honest conclusion. It confounds my ideological beliefs stubbornly refuses to fit my worldview and has embarrassed my growing belief that there is no God. Honest. Clear that they had changed. Creates a great conflict for Mr. Paris. Wisdom changes us. It affects those around us. It will actually guard our neighbors you know, from the damage that we can impose through our false thinking or sinful pursuits. You do well to obey the commands of God and those who are in authority. And you do well to fear before God. This is verses 10 through 13. Great vanity that the wise preacher observes here. Those who live for themselves, maybe they tip their hat to God every now and then because their conscience was pricked. But just wickedness was a way of life. These were the folks actually remembered and praised after they died. In other words, at the funeral, the way they lived was brushed aside or forgotten. I think this is often the case in, in contemporary uh, funeral services, if they're, if they're actually called funeral services. A lot of the time, we refer to them as memorial services or celebrations of life, something like that. Uh, and I want to be sensitive here to the importance and the power of these occasions for worship because that is exactly what they are in the Christian community. The funeral is an opportunity to exalt the one who has defeated death, who is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is our comfort and, and assurance and hope. That's the main point of our worship at the time of death. But how often is that um, hijacked 
by elevating or exalting the merits of the deceased. Um, now, we don't push memory aside. Can't do that. But this takes great wisdom. Those who have died are image bearers of God, and we should affirm the image of God in them. But I've seen examples. I've, maybe you have as well. And you've sat in funeral services where men, men who were scoundrels, they were hurtful and abusive almost their entire lives, and it was forgotten at the time of death. Um, we do well to remember, the teacher shows us here, what is forgotten by men is not forgotten by God. The one who spits in the face of God, who rejects his authority and his word at every turn, and lives an entire life of wickedness, they have gotten away with nothing. Nothing. It's, it's empowering. Isn't it empowering we get away with things? Um, you know, in some small way, we become this little law unto ourselves. And our sin-scarred hearts just love this. I can make the rules. I can get away with this. I stole a pack of gum when I was younger. Uh, I was with my dad, walked out right behind him. It was right there by the register. It was this little gum that had the sweet syrup in the middle. It looked so good. I just wanted to try it, so I slipped it in my pocket. Um, and once I got home, my wisdom had not increased because I offered a piece to my mother. <laughs> Thank you, son. Where'd you get this piece of gum? Well, Dad got it for me. <laughs> Didn't get any better after that. Sore bottom, back to the store, the whole nine yards. Okay, I didn't get away with it that time. But there was probably a time or two, maybe you can think of one, where you got away with it. And nothing really happened. You know, Mom or Dad never found those few bucks that you took. Or what you and your friend, you know, did out after school... You know, the next day you went back, classes resumed as normal, nobody ever heard about it. We think we've gotten away with something, but we haven't. God sees. God knows. He hasn't forgotten any of it, no matter how many years ago it may have been, or how long it's been since you've seen that person. You know, maybe if the Spirit is prompting a need to Confess something in your heart right now. Listen to that. Consider that a mercy of God. And confess. Live in the fear of God. He hasn't forgotten. And you and I are accountable to Him. Every thought, every word, every action. So the wise teacher concludes that, that wickedness and folly will not have the last word. And, and sometimes, it feels, sometimes it feels like justice is never going to be done. Even when the wicked are caught in their scheme. This is underneath verse 11. How about when the abuser is caught and the process of, of vindication in, is so drawn out and has to be relived by the victim over and over and over again, it's more painful than the abuse itself. Meanwhile, the abuser is living plush. This is madness. Will justice ever be served? Or how about the, the righteous getting the desserts of the wicked? The wicked living happily off the desserts of the righteous in verse 14. Where's the fairness in that? And we could spend all day considering just how unfair and disproportionate the trials and tragedies of life seem to be handed out. 
why did that person get the promotion and you lost the job? Why did they get the grade that you really wanted and worked so hard for? Why did the tsunami flatten that village which was full of Christians and leave those other villages intact? Why did that person get scammed out of years of faithful savings and not that person who spends frivolously? Why did that woman, married less than a year, pregnant with their first child, die in the car accident and not the drunk who caused it? Living in the fear of the Lord and the wisdom He gives means believing that God has the last word. It belongs to Him. And He is the judge. And He has the authority. Friends, He has the authority and the power to execute justice. And the judge of all the earth will do right. We need to be comforted by that. And Jesus speaks directly into this. Those who thought that they understood, thought they understood why things were happening the way they did. Who sinned? This man or his parents? Something had to happen to account for this tragedy or to account for this man of being born blind? Jesus says, no, it's for a different purpose altogether. Or how about that tower in Siloam that, that killed so many of the people in Jerusalem we read in, in Luke 13? Jesus goes right at the heart of this. Were they worse offenders than anybody else? Don't speak too confidently. Don't speak too comfortably about God's sovereign purposes. We just don't know. Instead, look to Him and repent. With such a tragedy, consider the nearness of your end. The nearness of God's judgment. Look to God. Turn to Him. Commend all to Him because you fear Him. So living in the fear of God, whether He provides that answer when we think He should or how we think He should, May it demands a holy reverence and a humility because that's what counters the disappointment. That's what counters the injustice. It really pushes back against the worldly wisdom that we're tempted to trust in. You do well to rejoice, he says. Living, living in the fear of God, taking joy in the everyday stuff of life, living in fear, those things go together. As a Christian, let the fact that you don't have an answer for it all, the fact that you don't know how life is going to turn out, let that move your heart to thanksgiving and joy in God's provision, in His mercy. And that may not, not be easy. Being joyful may not be easy at all. We're not promised that. But all of life is a gift of God. So rejoice in the taste of that sandwich that you have this afternoon or in the blooming of the flowers. A little extra sleep, perhaps. That song you love just came on the radio. Rejoice. It's nice enough to wear your favorite shirt and it's not supposed to rain until tomorrow. Rejoice. Rejoice. And Jesus tells us that tomorrow, tomorrow has enough cares and worries of its own. Give it to Him. See what happens. And we can watch 
and we can wait upon the Lord who continues to re- redeem not, not just us and what's happening in our own lives, but, but the world over. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in what it is we don't know that it keeps us from remaining faithful and content and joyful in what we do know. There's a, a parable that seems to capture this. I'm just going to use the name Larry, but maybe you want to put your name in this parable. Uh, Larry was restless in the place that uh, God had put him. He was bored. He was often uh, depressed. Mind kept wandering, toying with, with all of the what-ifs in his life. And so he asked God to rescue him from these troubled thoughts. And no answer came as he pleaded with the Lord. And after some time, uh, Larry saw a man who was working a very uh, simple job. He was weaving palm branches together. And, and the man would, he, he stood up and he prayed, and then he sat back down and started weaving. And then he stood back up and prayed, and then he sat back down and started weaving. And then Larry heard an, an angel of the Lord say to him, Do this, and you'll be cured. And so Larry saw this way out of his trouble. Stay the course, do what he knew, knew to do that was in front of him, pray and work, pray and work, and in that find um, the road through this unknown, through the trials of the season that he was in. Could that be true for us? We can, we can think a lot about it, we can speculate, we can you know, predict all we want, uh, plan all we want to the point where we don't get any sleep over it. We don't have time to sleep. We will not know the work of God under the sun. So let's be about the good work that we do know. The work that He's given us to do with joy and watch His wise plan unfold. So who is like the wise? Have you found Him yet? Have you gazed upon that shining face? There is one wise far greater than Solomon doesn't come from under the sun, but comes from well beyond the sun. The Lord Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, incarnate. Think of Peter, James, and John who stood on that mountain and beheld His shining face. The face of wisdom and truth. The face of, of compassion and love. He is wise. He he knows you completely. And Jesus alone is able to satisfy the longings of our hearts. Just think of how much more God gives us of Himself that really answers these questions of vanity under the sun. The cross of Christ is the answer to that disproportionate suffering that we feel and that we experience. The cross and the empty tomb Seal His victory and our victory over injustice and the wickedness of sin. This is the wisdom of God. This is the glory and the love of God for His children. And His face shines upon those who rest in Him. Those who look to Him are radiant, says the psalmist. So you and I can willingly, we can humbly Submit to the wisdom of God because we live in the fear of Him. 
Rejoice in the wisdom of the gospel, the wonder of God's grace to us. But it's, it's this wisdom that's foolishness to the world. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, Paul says. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The very life, death, continuing reign of Christ is the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So may we be those who can say with the apostle, we're not ashamed of this gospel. It is the power of God. We have seen it. It has changed us. And it can change you too. So this, the feast that's been set before us this morning, though it is despised by the wisdom of this world, this is the grace of God. The grace of God that feeds your faith and my faith. Let's go to the table that the Lord has prepared for us. Father, we are grateful that you come to us in the radiance of your glory, the radiance of wisdom and truth is known in you, our Savior. And as we look to you and lean upon you in faith, Lord, we too are changed. Lord, we ask that you would change us all the more, that you would transform us all the more into the likeness of our Savior and King. That you would give us wisdom, wisdom from on high. We might rejoice in this day and each day that you give us here under the sun. Lord, we thank you. We look to you as the judge who will do right, who will right all wrongs, and who will come and restore all that you have made. Lord, in this we hope, in this we trust. Um, even in those moments, we don't know where to turn. We don't understand what is happening around us. We are confident that you do, that you are good and wise. Lord, feed us now, we pray, with more of yourself at your table. We offer this in Jesus' name, amen.